for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Well, we begin our new series this morning uh, in the book of James called Living Well. Living Well. It's a big topic in the world in which we live. Uh, You don't have to look far to actually be hit by this topic, do you? You know, it's about what we should be eating and what we shouldn't be eating, the amount of calories we're consuming and, and shouldn't be consuming. It's all about fitness. There are a number of people here, aren't there, who go on the, what's the thing, the park run on Saturday mornings? Anyone? Yeah, there's a few, yeah. A few keen fitness people. There are people who play football. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a big thing today, living well. If you go and look on the internet, there's, there's loads of sites about living well, how we can live better today uh, in order that we might live tomorrow. It's a big subject. It's a good subject. It's a right subject. Even the Apostle Paul said, he said, didn't he? He said that we should look after our bodies because they are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of of the Holy Spirit, and we are stewards of that temple all the while that we live here. How are you looking after that temple? And yes, it is important what we eat. It is important that we get sufficient exercise. And so it's on God's agenda that we live well, that we keep fit, but keeping fit and living well is more than just eating the right things and getting enough exercise. We have an internal life and we have a relational life. And the reality is that so often we can do a lot about the exercise, the eating stuff, and we can miss this interior life and this relational life that we have. And so this morning we're going to begin just opening up the book of James. If you'd like to turn to the book of James, and we're just going to read one or two verses there as a launch point. I'm going to try and give you a brief uh, introduction and overview, and then over the next few weeks we're going to dig into various parts of the book of James. So just to read right there at the beginning. James, a servant or bondservant or slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Consider it great joy, my brothers, Whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. But to let him ask in faith without doubting, For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And that person shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. An indecisive man is unstable in all his ways. The brother of humble circumstances should boast in his exaltation. But the one who is rich should boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field." For the sun rises with its scorching heat and it dries up the grass. Its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will wither away while pursuing his activities. 
A man who endures trials is blessed because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God, for God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. And then after desire has conceived, it it gives birth to sin. And, And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dearly loved brothers and sisters. Every generous act and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. And with him, there's no variance or shadow cast by turning. By his own choice, he gave us a new birth by the message of truth so that we would be the first fruits of his creatures. My dearly loved brothers, understand this. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Father, we pray that you'll help us as we dig into this passage of Scripture this morning, as we begin to look at this book. Father, we pray that you would take these words penned so many years ago and apply them to our lives, our relationships, our environments today. We pray that we will hear you speaking afresh by your spirit in this moment, for this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, God wants us to live well. Did you realize that? God wants you to live well. He wants me to live well. He wants us to live well. He wants us to live lives that are saved lives. And I hope in the next few minutes that we can begin to see something of of God's great heart for his people, for us today, as much as it was then. Now, the fact is that very often we, we start out on the journey. I think of my own journey when I first encountered Christ and the joy of experiencing Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord and the thrill of that, and I can't remember how long it went on for, but I I remember days and weeks and months uh, of just the, the impact of encountering Jesus Christ and what he meant to me. And then at some point in my life, I kind of hit the buffers and I hit them quite hard and I began to think, what's happened? I began to lose my peace, I began to lose my joy, I began to lose a sense of, 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 of purpose in God. I hit the buffers and I couldn't understand why I'd hit the buffers. And sadly for so many Christians, that's, that's, not, that's not just a one-off, it's for many of us like that. We encounter Christ, we go on well, and then something happens and we hit the buffers, life takes a different turn, and suddenly our perspective changes, we lose sight of Jesus, and suddenly life becomes hard. It becomes difficult, and if we're not careful, it becomes depressing. And this is what's going on in the book of James, which is why it's so fascinating. And I want to just commend you over the next few weeks to to read the book of James. It's only five chapters. (laughs) 
It's only five chapters. You can read it in one sitting if you like, and actually that's a good idea as well. But to be reading it as we go through this series and absorb this message of James. Just absorb what James is saying. Get into to James and, and feel James and hear how he's, he's talking and what he's saying and, uh, and get the, the heart of what God wants for his people. And, and so there's this danger if we don't understand God and his purposes that we actually retreat into ourselves. We become an island. We, we become disconnected from the world around us. And our faith, instead of being a public faith, it now becomes a private faith because we're, the problem is we're not sure how we're working it out and therefore we lose our confidence publicly. And we find this going on actually in the book of James. Something that the early Christians were confronted with and as such it's able to help us. If you're going through trial this morning, if there's some way that you are suffering, then read the book of James. If you're experiencing untold temptations this morning, then read the book of James. If there are relational difficulties this morning, then read the book of James. I mean, he touches on so many things, and we'll find that out as we begin to look at it. It's a small but fascinating book. It's five chapters long, and it's immensely practical. It's one of the earliest pastoral letters, probably written middle 40s to late 40s AD. And it covers a whole range of subjects, and I've already begun to hint hint at them. Trials and temptations, favoritism, the power of speech, the need for the right kind of wisdom, active faith, the root of conflict, not judging others, attitudes towards the poor, wealth and the wealthy, patience and perseverance. And so you could go on. You could make a whole list of these things. Now, we have not long ago just done the book of Proverbs. And when you come to the book of James, initially it can feel like you're reading Proverbs in the New Testament. And one of the reasons for that is it has some 54 commands uh, in 108 verses. Some 54 commands in 108 verses. So you read this book of James and it just sounds like he's, he's just jumping here and there uh, to do with various issues of life, much like Proverbs does as it moves through the book. And so it's interesting that we're following this, having done uh, the book of Proverbs. And James is sometimes referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament, because it's one of those books you can turn to and you can find something that generally interacts with some part of your life, what's going on. Now, James hasn't been without his critics. If you know your church history, how many of you know Martin Luther? Heard of Martin Luther? He was a, a Catholic who tried to... Uh, find peace with God through religion, couldn't find it. And uh, he was a a scholar, he was studying the scriptures, and one day he's reading the scriptures, and he discovers that actually you don't earn your way into a right relationship with God, you don't earn your way to heaven, you don't have to do lots of penance, you simply believe what Jesus has already done. Wow! Wow! And it's like this light flooded into his heart and his soul and his, his very life. And you go and read some of the stuff that he's written. I recommend to people reading his commentary on Galatians. It's just full of life. Uh, and uh, it's just amazing. He's a very earthy man, but he's a very theological man. But, you know, he struggled with this book of James. And the reason was because when we get to chapter 2, it gets a bit sort of sticky it's like you're walking through stuff to do with faith and works. And, and, and how do you do this in relation to what Paul has said? And we're going to be touching on that as we go through this book. 
Interestingly, though, Martin Luther, though he thought the book was a book of straw, he thought it was good enough to quote from. So there you go. Um, Now, others have have struggled with James because he seems to contradict what Paul wrote. So Paul wrote about this amazing gospel, this fact that God loves us and Jesus dies for us and we're saved simply by believing and trusting the finished work of Jesus Christ, which we've been singing about this morning. And then you go over to the book of James and he says, faith without works is dead. And you go, ah, what do I do with this? So do I have to do something after all? Is it 50-50? Is it 60-40? Is it 90-10? Etc., etc. And you kind of get, I got into that kind of stuff in my Christian life. And so you, you start working hard trying to think, well, I've got to keep up my end. You know, Jesus has done his bit, so I've got to keep up my end. And you start, and do you know what? That is a miserable place to be. That is utter misery, Christian drudgery. God save us from it. We are a grace church. We love the grace of God. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace stands for. And uh, so at the end of the day, this gospel that we preach is Jesus plus nothing. And we're going to be touching on that. It's Jesus plus nothing. And you've got to know that when you read the book of James. Otherwise you get into trouble. And then looking at this book, we need to remember that, like all New Testament writers, he wasn't, you know, sort of sitting down one day and thinking, well, what shall I do? Oh, I know. I I think I'll write a letter. We must never come to the Bible with that attitude that these writers just sat down and decided to write a book, much like anybody else might sit down and write a book. They wrote in order to address particular problems and issues, but not from a human perspective, but under the direction and an illumination of the Holy Spirit. So this book is a God-breathed book, and we need to remember that. Whether we're reading Exodus, which I know can be a very... Sorry, whether we're reading Leviticus, which I know can be a very difficult and challenging book to read, or whether we're reading the book of Romans, whatever book, this is a God-breathed book. This book has been given to us by God. It is not the same as any other literature, and we mustn't treat it that way. So when we come to it, we come to it with reverence. This is God's word. And so when we, when we look at James, we can't pit James, therefore, against Paul, and Paul against James. These men were, were both men of God on whom the Holy Spirit came, and he spoke through them, and he gave them his word, and we have it today. And so, therefore, there must be harmony between them. The challenge, then, is to understand James uh, in the light of the inspiration and unity of Scripture. Now, it's, as I've already said, it's an immensely practical book. And you can look at it and you think, well, I like this guy. He doesn't do theology. And that would be a big mistake to make. Because undergirding everything that James says is good theology is good, sound doctrine. And good, sound doctrine should lead to right experience. Yeah? Good, sound doctrine could, should lead to right experience. And so when you, you look at this book, and I want to, to challenge you as you, you meet together in community groups to be thinking of the, the big themes that undergird the epistle of James. Because without them, it falls. And some of those themes are the sovereignty of God, that God is the Lord of hosts, 
the Lord of heaven's armies, that there is an angelic realm, that we are made in God's image, that God is the lawgiver and he is the judge, that he is a gracious and and merciful God and Jesus is both Lord and Saviour that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that the God that we believe in is a God of glorious purpose, and there is a day when the end will come. There is a second coming. So there's some grand themes that undergird this wonderful book of James. So who was James? I think we've got a picture of him somewhere. Or someone's, oh, that was the exorcist. <laughs> Yes, this is someone's, uh, I don't know whether he had a photograph taken and someone did that, but I found it. I thought it would be useful anyway. (laughs) Certainly didn't dress like we do today. uh, So who was James? James was the brother or half-brother of Jesus Christ. He grew up with Jesus. Have you ever thought what it must have been like to be in the family where Jesus was your brother? Have you ever given that? Some degree of thought. What would it be like to play with Jesus? Did Jesus tell jokes? You know, what was it like just to be Jesus' brother or sister? Um, Now, actually, James does have some problems with Jesus. And when we read the scriptures, we can discover, you look at Mark 3 and verse 21 and John 7 7 and verse 5, and you, you discover that he's a skeptic. Here he is, he's growing up with Jesus, and he doesn't believe him. He doesn't believe him. Jesus is right there in the midst, and he doesn't believe him. Oh yeah, he knows he's his brother or half-brother, but he doesn't believe him, as did other members of the family. But then, when we come to this chapter here, it's, it's, it's staggering. Right there in chapter 1, James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. At some point in his life, something happened and he saw who his brother really was and he believed him and he was happy to confess that the Jesus that he grew up with was none other than the God from heaven taking on human flesh and living here and healing and delivering and dying and rising again to pay the price for all our sins. Wow. He confesses the divinity of Christ. He confesses that he is saviour. Wow. You might have grown up in a Christian family, Christian parents, Christian brothers and sisters, and you yourself have struggled with who this Jesus really is. You've heard people talking about him. You've seen them worshipping him. And you've had your doubts but you've never actually come to that place of faith, that place of commitment, that place of realisation. This is the Christ of God. This is my Saviour. I want to appeal to you this morning. Pray that the Holy Spirit would open your heart and open your mind to see that he's, just, he's not an ordinary man. He's not just another human being. This is God who was made flesh. This is God who became our Saviour. And that by believing in him, we have peace with God and eternal life. Do you know him this morning? Do you know him? Is he your saviour? Is he your Lord? And then you look at this uh, verse again, and it says here, 
Well, my version says a slave. Now I want to say I've got the best version. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what version it is. But it's an interesting word because the, the translators have difficulty translating this particular word. So you'll find servant, you'll find bondservant, you'll find slave. And interestingly, Mike touched on this last week, didn't he? You see, we have the wrong idea very often about slavery. We think of the worst example of slavery. But there is also a good example of being a slave. And uh, this was James. He was saying he wasn't just a servant. He wasn't just a bond servant. He was actually a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what he's saying is, I am totally owned by Jesus. He is my everything and my all. And the reality is, according to Scripture, that we're either a slave of one or the other. If we're not a slave of God, we're a slave of Satan and sin. And so the whole idea of, uh, you know, my rights don't exist. You're either serving one master or you're serving the other. And James says, I am happy to count God as my master. I am happy to know that he is the one who has the rights in my life. There's no such thing then as personal rights. All the rights belong to God who is our creator, our sustainer, our redeemer. And you know, the sooner we discover that, Actually, the better it is. The better it is. Life takes on a lot more sense, makes a lot more sense. James was also uh, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. You can look that up in your own time, Acts chapter 12, verse 17, 15, 13, and uh, 21. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So that's a little bio of James. So who was James addressing? It says here to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Traditionally this has been looked upon as as a believing Jews and probably was at that particular time but could quite easily both be both the Jew and Gentile as the new Israel of God. The new people of God. It's addressed to the Christian community at large scattered in the nations. This letter is written to the church Uh, to a body of people, not necessarily individuals. And that's much like the whole of Scripture. And if we don't get that, we miss something. If we make Scripture individualist, we will miss what Scripture is saying in many places. And so look at this again. In verse 2 there, Consider it great joy, my brothers. I want you to notice how he addresses them. Because James is going to, going to fire off, bang, 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 bang. And you can look at it and you think, wow. But I think it's important that we get James's heart. And his heart just bleeds through the whole of this book. So he doesn't stand above them. He doesn't stand aloof from them. He stands with them. He says, you're my brothers. They may not be doing well and he's going to have some strong things to say, but he says, You're my brothers. You you are my family. I love you guys. You're my brothers and sisters. And so he appeals to them as those who are family. 
And he uses this term several times. I mean, some 15 times, brothers and sisters, if you translate it out. Four times it's brothers, eight times my brothers, three times my beloved brothers. I love that. That's his appeal all the way through. My my beloved brothers and sisters. You're my family. I love you. And what I am sharing with you comes not because I stand above you or I am better than you. It's because you're my family and I love you. Hear what I have to say. It's written with great affection. And I just love the word greetings. (laughs) If you know your Bible at all, that is not found elsewhere. Not found elsewhere. Paul very often starts with, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God be with you. He starts with that kind of greeting. James is kind of like a bit more out there. We might say, no, I won't put it that way. Um, No, he just comes at it from a completely different angle. And he just says, greetings, brothers and sisters. And all that, and it's found in thousands of papyri of the time. It was a very common greeting. And what it really means is cheerful, cheerful. So right at the start, he's just bringing a cheerful greeting to his brothers and sisters. You know, we might say, hi, guys. You know, this is not just, ah, hello. There is something of his heart in this, and it's full of great cheer for them, which is found in his knowledge and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the context in verse uh, 2 there, consider it great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials. Now, I don't know about you, but there are times when I've read that and I wished it wasn't in the Bible. Yeah? None of you are like me. You know, you read that, consider it great joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, no, we want to say. But this is the background to what James is having to say. They're going through some tough times. It wasn't what they had expected. We might say today they had an over-realized eschatology. In other words, they had not understand God's purposes entirely in the ongoing ages through human history. And so they were expecting, having come to Christ, some immediate deliverance and a freedom from this kind of thing. And maybe Jesus would come sooner uh, than what they uh, had expected. And as a result of this, suddenly they find themselves in the midst of trials. They are suffering. Did anybody say this when you come to Jesus, that you will suffer because of Jesus? They are now suffering. They have left their homes. They have gone somewhere else, much like some of the Christians today in Iraq. They are paying a massive price for their faith. And they're wondering whether they have got it right. And actually the result of it is that they've now gone onto the back foot. The result of it is that they have now gone into a very private form of faith. They're no longer the public witnesses to the world at large that they should be. They're no longer being church to the world that they should be. The world had proven to be a much more difficult place to live in, to work out their faith than they had expected. Their problems haven't disappeared. They seem to have increased. 
And not only that, the world itself had turned, seemed to be more hostile to the gospel than they had ever expected. And so they were feeling sorry for themselves. And their Christian existence was nothing more than now a, a personal spirituality, inward, self-serving, religious trip. So James invites them, two important words, so they were suffering, So he invites them to consider and to know. To consider and to know. A light bulb moment, (laughs) as we say today. Now, the problem for us is we live fast-paced lives. We live lives that are very quick when we're moving from one thing to another in rapid succession. And the danger with that is we don't stop and and think. We don't stop and get into God's presence. We don't stop and hear God's word, get God's wisdom. We don't stop and make sense of life. And so we we crash through from one thing to another and we say, my, I don't know what's happening to my life. I don't know quite where it's going. It doesn't seem to make sense anymore. I wish I understood. And so James says, look, it's important that you consider and that you know. Consider and that you know. You need to think more about this in your community groups, to consider and to know. Stop and think about life. Use your head. God gave it to you for a reason. And so he says here, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, when you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. What he wants them to understand is that God's purposes are much bigger than ours. And the time frames are different to ours. But he wants them to understand a very particular purpose about their own lives. That actually God is growing them. God wants them to come to maturity. He wants them, I love this, verse 4, but endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Wow. Hear that for yourself, that this is what God wants for you. He wants you to be mature. He wants you to be complete in every way and to be lacking nothing. Wow. That is some promise, isn't it? This is God's heart for his people. And the people in this letter at this time of writing were missing it. And James is endeavoring to get them back on track by understanding the sovereignty of God and the purpose of God in their experiences. That these experiences weren't wasted, but they could be meaningful. Now, I just want to run through very quickly here, because when you look at James, you can find that there is a track that takes place. You see, if you don't understand God's purpose in the trial, the trial can easily lead to temptation. And those words are very very linked to one another. In fact, they're the same in the original. And so, if you don't understand your trial, temptation is far more enticing. And temptation, as he says, leads to sin. It leads to the unrighteousness of God. And in their circumstances, it was running out in lack of love. It was partiality. It was, 
it was they were saying the wrong stuff, a whole load of stuff. And you can just see how it then multiplies out. You can begin to see this theme and how he's building on it and working through it. So when James jumps in right here, he's laying something for the rest of the book, much like Proverbs did. So consider it great joy, my brothers, whatever you experience, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. He wants them, in chapter 1, verse 21, to live saved lives. Brief comment about that. He uses the word save five times. He doesn't use it like Paul does. And that's where we need to understand how a writer uses words. Because if we don't, we get into problems. We hear him talking about saved and going to heaven. But he's he's actually talking about living saved in the present. In other words, delivered from the trials, overcoming, and so on. So it's about living saved lives now. And that's James' great heart for them. He, He looks and he says, come on guys, God's got far more for you than this. Something far better for you than this. Yes, it's in the midst of this, but actually you can rise above it. In chapter 1 and verse 12, he talks about, he says, a man who endures trials is blessed because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I don't necessarily believe that that means when you die, but if you pass through trials today, you will get a crown of life and you will reign. Much like uh, Paul says in in Romans chapter 6 about reigning in life through Jesus Christ. You see, there is a, a sense that, so we've got, we got the crown there, good, great. You see, James wants them to learn how to reign in God in the midst of trial and to be effective witnesses for him. And so in 1 verse 25, he says this, you will be blessed in your doing. How many of you would like blessing? Well, that wasn't very good, was it? How many of you would like blessing? The blessing of God, Yeah. You look at this book and you begin to take to heart this book and he says, look, if you get this, guys, and if you believe this and you do this, you will be blessed in your doing. Amen. Well, let me share with you a a kind of paragraph that, um, as I thought about this um, some time ago, that kind of sums it up. When you kick and complain against trials and refuse God's way and God's wisdom and follow the escape route of temptation, which leads to sin, you forfeit the wholeness of life that could be yours in Christ and instead embrace a living death. I'll say that once more. Because that kind of summarizes something what James is about. When you kick and complain against trials, and then you refuse God's way and God's wisdom, and instead follow the escape route of temptation, which leads to sin, you forfeit the wholeness of life. Notice, not salvation. You forfeit the wholeness of life now. You forfeit that that could be yours in Christ, and instead embrace a living death. And so James is, is writing to them, and he's saying, guys... I want you to understand God's bigger perspective on your lives and on his purposes in human history. He's saying, yes, you are suffering. But yes, God can work through those trials. 
He can work through those trials to bring you to maturity. He can work through those trials to bring you, to, to make you complete so that you lack nothing. He can work through those trials to enable you to reign in life. And that way, you'll be a witness for him. And so, as he just unpacks this word, and as you go through it, you'll just be staggered at the way James then begins to dig into the nitty-gritty of life and then unpack all sorts of little things that you thought were disconnected but actually are part of the whole. You see, God is interested not just in what we eat and drink and how we look after our bodies by exercise. He's interested in our internal life. He's interested in how we respond to the issues that we find ourselves in, the, the walls that we find ourselves up against. He's interested in our relationships. He's interested in revealing his glory through us. And that's staggering. And so he says, James says, look, don't deceive yourselves. Because actually we can look and think, hmm, I'm not that bad really. I think I've got it and I know how to do it. And James says twice, don't deceive yourselves. Hear what I am saying. Hear what God is saying. Listen to my word and put it into action and it will make a world of difference for you. Wow. So go away and read James. Read it from beginning to end. Absorb that message that he's bringing. Let's just stand, shall we? James is, is writing about Christianity that is on the front foot rather than the back foot, that is out of the cave rather than in the cave. He's calling the saints up to a different kind of life, a life that has its full potential in God through Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, as we stand in your presence in this moment, I thank you for this inspired word. Thank you for James, who was once a sceptic about you, Lord Jesus. He was your brother, half-brother, and he didn't believe in you. But one day, he came to that point of faith. And Lord, he's able to write this letter and express his faith in such a wonderful way. Thank you for the great love that you put in his heart for your people and the way he writes to his beloved brothers and sisters and how he appeals to them, come on guys, this is not how you should be living. There is a better life than this. Thank you that this word speaks to us today. And Lord, I pray just now by your Holy Spirit, you'll help us to receive what you're saying to us. Lord, there are some here who are going through difficult times. There's some here this morning who are trying to opt out of that difficulty by instead going the way of temptation. There's some, Lord, who just don't know what to do. Thank you that James is all about getting connected back to you, having one way of thinking, of receiving from the heart of God that we might do the will of God. Holy Spirit, Apply your word to every heart as it needs it. If there's any who don't know Jesus, pray that in some way they may have been captivated by you this morning. 
pray, Lord, that you'll bring the skeptic to faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us as your people to be the people that you want us to be, to reign in life rather than life to reign over us, to live by the power of your spirit, receiving the wisdom of God for every situation and circumstance in our lives, that you may be glorified in and through us, the church, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.